there and welcome to The Telly Show, hosted by me, Fiona Flynn, TV editor with entertainment.ie. On this week's episode of the show, I was joined by comedian, actor and TV presenter Kevin McGacken to chat about his upcoming Irish tour, as well as his time on Hardy Books and hosting Republica Telly and much, much more. Uh, Kevin McGacken, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I was just saying, it's the telly show. It's sort of similar to the Republican telly in title, but... bringing back a lot of painful memories. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Uh, first up, though, you're on a massive tour this year for Solo Polo. It's huge. It's huge. Um, tell us about it. What is happening um, for people that are attending this show? What will they get to see of Kevin? Um, it's. I suppose it's mostly my... Um, my thoughts over the last two years of living in a world about to collapse. Um, but it's, it's an a very, show. <laughs> it's an optimistic, it's optimistic, pessimistic view of the end of the world. Yeah. Um, God, it's, it's the hardest thing to ever explain, like what a show is. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like I could describe it as like a man uh, in a car driving off a cliff but sort of laughing right manically Ma- yeah, yeah yeah sort of like just fuck it yeah like we're all going to die sure we'll have a bit of crack before the end yeah sure why not why not yeah yeah that's the theme <laughs> I think of the show yeah, yeah yeah and how much have you done of it so far um, we've done about four four dates I think so far in Port Leash tonight um, so yeah it's been going great yeah getting good reaction good. And stuff, I've yeah. got a good um, support act Edwin Salmon oh yeah he's great um, from Bridget Neyman who's my right hand man and it's uh, having a buddy with you makes it so much better does it oh yeah because it's like you're, you're, you're on holidays by yourself essentially yeah and on holidays by yourself and then I suppose asked to be the best crack ever while yeah, you're on your own yeah exactly so um, it's nice having someone there with you to just goes like was that any good Um so it's like it's it's comical and emotional support that yeah. I get from my lovely bald friend. <laughs> yeah, it must be way better um, having a partner in crime on the night. Um, and then for you performing then, I suppose, I've always wondered this with comedians, like having to kind of churn out the same material over and over again. Um, what is that like? I mean, I know it sounds like a basic enough question because that's what you do all the time. But I do always wonder about when I go to see a good comedian, it's like, how do they manage to deliver this the same way they delivered it in like Castle Bar last night? And how do you kind of keep the enthusiasm for the jokes that you're telling? Great question. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Evan. For, <laughs> for, I think for normal stand-up when you're doing just like random sets, um, it can get monotonous doing the same thing again. You always want to do it kind of differently. But when you're doing a show, your end goal is to have a perfect product you know so you're constantly refining stuff and trying stuff seeing what works seeing what doesn't work you know it's like Trump's speeches actually like the wall build the wall came from him just tossing out shit you know and that really worked so he's like right I'm going to say that again next week it's the same with a comedian you try a joke if it works really well you keep it if it doesn't you let it die. Yeah. What's your build the wall joke then? <laughs> what is my build the wall? Um, it's I suppose yeah. The, the crescendo is uh, is dealing with an apocalypse in Ireland. What what that would be like? Oh yeah. And it's quite positive. Yeah. If if I was to be in any country for the end of the world, this was the country I would really. Be, yeah, hundred percent. Why so? I think we don't take danger seriously. I think we're um, impervious to terrorism. Because we, none of us in this country take anything seriously, you know. Um, 
So I think that's that's how you beat the terrorists. Yeah. Is laugh at them. You know, when they come in with a bomb, pull their beard. <laughs> Pull their beard. Pull their beard. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> I can't imagine, though, a massive session taking place in Ireland if we did get some kind of it would you know, be insane. apocalypse. Everyone paying a credit card. Yeah. Uh, just drink deals. Yeah. Because we're not allowed to do drink deals here. But who's smoking in pubs? Yeah. It would be the best the, crack we'd have since 1994. All the bread would be gone. But like, we'd have, yeah. Well, bread. hopefully, if we, um, in the next year or so, if we learn, learn to make bread, I hear humans used to do that. I believe so. Uh, <laughs> that was the mad thing about like when we had the big snow for three days, we ran out of bread and people are buying like 12, 15 loaves of bread as if like I think our entire economy is sandwich based. I know. Who uh, knew though? I yeah. saw a man in Tesco walk out with six loaves of bread. What's he at? Like, How many sandwiches is and that? And I thought the whole thing was just overly exaggerated and overhyped when people were talking about, oh, the bread thing. And then sure enough, in Tesco, six loaves. I was almost going to be like, what are you doing with them? Yeah, and then Please load, tell me you're feeding lads, your elderly neighbours. A load of lads uh, robbed a digger and broke into an Aldi. Like, that was... Yeah. Me- we went from, like, society to Mad Max 2 in three days. <laughs> I know. It was a marvel what? to behold. Yeah. yeah. So apart from all the death... It'll actually be great crack. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the so. right place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Republic Italy then, mm-hmm. I know, <laughs> as much as you may not want to talk about it, but it was a huge <laughs> part of your career. Um, so I suppose I wanted to know, it was such a, I guess there's not really anything that's replaced it since. So I suppose, what was it like to work on it, considering it launched so many great comedy acts in Ireland? Yeah, and, apart from mine, yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel about the cancelling? Um... Like it was a great, it was it was a great show to work on because it's great having that pressure every week to like produce something, yeah. and it's like it's it's manic at times, like where like you're pulling your hair out. But um, it was to be honest when it was when it was finishing up, I kind of felt it had its day anyway. It was a slight relief. Yeah, there was a comfort there. You're like you've got a regular gig, mm. but uh, I mean I'm not sure how long I could have gone on anyway I think five years I was like I, I did it the longest you did the longest yeah and all of them. Um, after five years you're just like okay I do want something different you know? yeah. yeah yeah. but um, it was great you got to work with great people yeah. and meet some lovely slobs yeah um, and yeah I formed I formed some great friendships out of it you know yeah. some good comedy friendships yeah and in terms of that show then, like that was again, it was so focused on just like taking the piss out of telly then. Mm. But I was reading recently that if you were to go back into t- television or anything like that, you would definitely want to go into a more political comedy route. Well, I, yeah, like there's only, and I remember Dermot Whelan said the exact same thing. There's only so many times you can make fun of Fair City. Yeah, um, there is so much material with Fair City. <laughs> with, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, like it does feel um, a little bit trite to like be making fun of some lovely actor from Fair City who's just doing his job <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. when there's just so many bastards out there that you really want to take down. Yeah. So yeah, political satire has always been, it's always more rewarding because you really want to stick your knife into some of them lads, you know? Yeah, and I actually do find it very frustrating at the moment in Ireland that there's so much going wrong mm. and we've got no political satire, no we've got, comedy We've got Waterford Whispers. It. Waterford Whispers is the only thing really the that I can thing, think of. But nothing on television that's, you know, I mean, even the likes of John Oliver or someone like that who can do political yeah. satire, blue political comedy, but also kind of inform as well. And that's just so lacking in Irish television at the moment. Yeah. So when I was reading that about you wanting to do political comedy, I was like, yes, somebody needs to like... 
you know, start pointing out things and educating people through comedy about the different problems with the government and what's happening in Ireland. Exactly. It's um, like I'm addicted to like the American um, talk shows, the because they've got a lot more since Trump got in, I guess. Yeah, they've got a lot more political. Um, like Johnny Carson, that era, they would never you never knew how they were going to vote. Uh, they would come out and they would make fun of Democrats, they'd make fun of Republicans. Mm. Whereas now it's, I imagine it's, it seems quite one-sided for Republicans, but they're so much easier to make fun of. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, we need we need something like that. Um, yeah. Now, there's probably not enough going on in just Ireland to just make fun of Irish politics. But if you make fun of world politics and yeah. then have little bits of Ireland Yeah, I mean, Ireland, Ireland in the there. UK, I mean, yeah. you could expand from there. Exactly, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, get someone to commission that. <laughs> there you go. Greenlight that show, damn it. They, they're not watching this. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they? Oh, <laughs> gosh darn. <laughs> no, the chief commissioning editor of RT is not. Just perusing the internet, watching interviews. You don't know that, Kevin. You don't know that. <laughs> um, and I suppose at the moment, for comedy in Ireland as well, what do you think of it in terms of... Um, I mean, that's what you're doing as well. But what do you think of how the comedy scene has evolved in Ireland and how it is right now? Do you think it's in good shape? Um, I think it's in. Uh, I think it's in pretty good shape. I think we've like even from when I started, there's there's a lot more women doing it. Yeah. Um, like we're not at fifty fifty yet. I'm not sure if we ever will be, because I think comedy tends to attract more men, um, or at least. I think men suffer from overconfidence more than women. Mm. Women are a lot more self-critical, so they're less likely to say, hey, I'm a funny bitch, and go up on stage. Whereas everyone knows that guy in the office who thinks he's hilarious. Um, he will try comedy. So I think there's always going to be a slight imbalance, but um, there's a lot more women doing it now. I think a lot of comedians give out about the, um, oh, you can't say anything anymore, which I don't think is true. Um, you can say stuff, just make sure it's funny. Uh, like when I started, there was a lot more of um, kind of misogyny, uh, kind of blatant racism at times. Um, and that's kind of not on anymore, but it doesn't mean you can still talk about those issues. You can still talk about race, you can still talk about sexism. Uh, you can still talk about homophobia. Mm. Just make it funnier yeah. you know, and make sure you know who the target is. You know, I think that's that's what's died is you're not allowed to do comedy where you're targeting a minority, but you can make fun of yeah. the issue. You know what I mean? So I think it's a lot better. And I think like some people say that in England, it's kind of gone too far the other way. In America, the same the certain colleges where like they say you're not allowed to talk about these 10 subjects, which I think is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But I think Irish people are... Uh, they're not that sort of um, easily triggered. So it's um, basically in Ireland, if it's funny, it's fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. You probably shouldn't be cursing on. That's all right. It's the internet. You do what you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If you're going to tackle uh, cancer or race relations, make it funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better be funny. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you're right. In Ireland, I suppose there's not really so much of that oversensitivity. No. Yeah, which is great in terms of comedy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I was going to ask you that as well. There's sort of that kind of thing now with comedy of editing or self-editing. But it's good, as you said, that there is, yeah, like there is ways of tackling there's, it. There's things, when I started in 2009, there's those things in my set that I wouldn't do now. Like even like the use of the word junkie. Um, or even if you're using it in an ironic way, the F word for describing homosexual men. Mm. 
Um, I would not do that now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a bit of censorship is, is good. It's a yeah. good thing. Like, yeah. people give out about political correctness, but it's better to have it than not have it. Yeah, you definitely. Know? Yeah. If it stops kids getting bullied at school, it's probably a good thing. This is it. Mm. Yep. Um, and speaking about your start in comedy, you apparently went out and did secret gigs, I've heard, at the beginning, were telling your friends or family. Oh, or, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, I did. <laughs> we just I this, told the you, for this interview, I talked to your primary school teacher. <laughs> You've done a lot of research. But when you began in comedy like that, as you were saying, there is that kind of feeling that men have of like, yeah, I think I'm a funny fecker. But yeah. when you were starting off, what was your draw towards comedy? And how did you sort of start feeling confident in yourself to go on stage? Um, I was, uh, I, I studied animation. Oh, yeah? Because uh, I wanted to make cartoons. And I was in college with a guy called Robbie Bonham, a uh, comedian, mm-hmm. who, um, he just seemed so lackadaisy about it. Like, I was asking him all these questions. I didn't know that I wanted to do it. Yeah. But I was asking him all these questions about comedy. And he would bring me to gigs and I would ask the other comedians. And he was like, just do it. Like, stop asking me questions. Yeah. It's no big deal. And what kind of questions were you asking? Just, oh, you know. like, I can't even remember. Probably really dumb ones. Like, how do you know how much time you're allowed to have? And <laughs> how do you know when you're finished? Um, <laughs> how do you do, where do you get your ideas? Uh, just really stupid questions. But yeah, so I, the Hapenny Bridge Inn is pretty much where everyone starts. Yeah. It's fun. open mic. It's uh, 70% terrible. 30% uh, great, you know, the that's where I, Al Porter, I remember seeing him and Alison Spittle, I think, on the same night. Um, and you could tell, like, these these guys are going to be huge. Mm. Um, but what was I saying? Yeah, so I would go to these things and, like, people who had never done comedy before would get up and they would have brought, like, 15 friends from work and their brothers and sisters. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> what if you fail on your arse? They will know this for the rest of your life. So I told nobody. Like, I just tell my uh, my current wife, my girlfriend at the time. That sounds weird, my current wife. Current wife. Uh, my wife. <laughs> my, my wife my, for now. My girlfriend at the time, my wife now. Yes, yes. Um, I was like, I have to go out, okay? And she was like, all right. Like, I'll tell you about it later, okay? But I, I, I just don't want to really tell you where I'm going. And it's kind of good that she wasn't that suspicious. She was, she kind of knew. She trusted you. She was like, all right, I think, I think he's doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I waited until, I basically waited until they found out, until my friends were like, hey, are you doing stand-up? I've seen your face on a poster, you weirdo. Yeah, yeah. Because I just, I didn't want to fail in yeah. front of my friends. It's the worst feeling in the world. Really? Yeah, I did a corporate where I just died on my arse and my cousin was there. And every time I see him, I just think, I bet you're thinking about that now. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you can think about. Not my successes, just yeah, that one yeah, time. Yeah, just that horrible <laughs> failure. And do you, like, have you had many of those over the years where it's just completely bombed? Or like, and how do you recover from that? Um, Not that it's that, you, you know, do, I'm sure you just pick yourself up. But you just in, do another one, like. Yeah, just um, carry on. Yeah, you always, you always feel as good as your last gig. Um, really? So... You can have 10, 10 good ones in a row and then one bad one and then you just feel terrible for a week yeah. until you do another good one. Yeah. But that's it. It's, you know, it's bicycle riding. You're yeah. falling off and you're getting back up the whole time, you know. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, comedy so subjective and depends on the crowd and all that kind of thing. Oh, well. yeah. There's yeah. that always thing where you're like, oh, the crowd are a bunch of wankers. They, yeah. It's they, always the crowd's fault. Well. <laughs> yeah. It's always a, 
Philistines just didn't get my hilarious bit on Tato. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, comedy and stand-up that led you to Hardy books. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And acting, I suppose, in general, is something that you've uh, taken on quite a bit more of over the years. Yeah. Um, do you? How, what's your kind of feel towards acting uh, versus stand-up comedy? Or where would you kind of feel more at home? Um, like, I like them both. Uh, I think you kind of get a nearly a better buzz from... If you're acting something and it's really good, it's usually something funny. Like, I'm not really that interested in just serious drama. Mm. Um, But if you're doing something and it's funny and you get to watch it, uh, where you're all crowding around the monitor and you're like, this is is great. Whereas stand-up, it's lightning in a bottle. You do a great show and then you're done. And then you're like, hey, did you see that show? No, I didn't see it. Oh, it was very good. Last forever. Yeah, whereas um, I like the... I like the fact that when you're acting something, it's it's there forever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or at least until the RT player takes it down. <laughs> <laughs> and Hardy Books, is that something? I know there was a new season last year, actually, the two guys in um, uh, last year for Chat Martin and... Yes. Um, uh, Owen. Owen, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is there any talk of that coming back again? Or I don't know. Like, I mean, it's such a weird thing where they, like, give them a series, like, once every two years. Yeah, what's that about? I think they're doing, like, a boyhood thing where they want to... They want to make Hardy books like every four years. Excuse me. <laughs> they want to make Hardy books every four years until they're like last of the summer wine yeah. age. Yeah, in their 50s. Sitting in oh, there. in their 80s. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, still, it's still, still it's, talking about going to Galway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saving up 30 euro to go to Galway. Um, it must have been because that show when it first came out was so so talked about it. So, so many people watched it, talked about it, were quoting it. Uh, it must have been great to have been part of it. And was it fun to film? It was. Yeah, I mean, like, it was great. Um, like, the the more, I, I felt like the more, obviously, the more scripted it got, the harder it got for crack. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, most times it was, there was very little difference between what was going on on screen and what was going on behind the cameras. Really? It was, it was just a big, dirty session constantly. Um, and this, the, the, like the lads are very similar <laughs> to their characters. Yeah, yeah. So Some I different did, accents, but yeah, that's about it. <laughs> not even that different. Um, <laughs> Martin's a bit different, all right, and Chris. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to work on. Yeah. And it, I always looked forward to like those four weeks of just living in a tiny town of Mayo and just getting Marova every yeah. single night. <laughs> like, <laughs> And just doing weird stuff, yeah. It was good yeah, fun. That sounds deadly. And then recently you had a No Party for Billy Burns. Yes. Um, which again, was that was you kind of headlining your own movie. Um, so again, is that again something like acting in more heavier roles or more... I suppose that wasn't really a heavier role, but it was more... It was, like, yeah, it was. it's kind of a... It's a tragic comedy, so it's, yeah. it's kind of... Um, there were funny bits and then sad bits. Yeah, like the bit was, he was talking about the bees and stuff. And like, yeah, like there was, the there was definitely... The there was more funny bits than sad bits, which kind of um, I found easier. But like what was amazing with that is like we made it uh, for like about 15 grand, I think, which is you don't you make a short film for 15 grand. Yeah, yeah. But um, we could not have made that film if we didn't live where we lived. Um, like we come from a very myself and Porik, the director and writer, comes from a small community in Cavan. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone helps out everyone. Mm. It's almost Amish. And when we said we were doing fundraisers for that, like we had so much support mm. from the locals. And when we needed props, when we needed locations, when we needed extras, everyone just jumped on board. Would 
without looking for anything in return, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, like we, God, yeah, we just made us really appreciate where we're from, you know? Yeah, yeah. God bless Calvin. God bless Calvin, man. <laughs> and then uh, finally then, the documentaries I also really enjoyed a few years ago from you. Um, they were, saw you going to America. You were in America kind of just pre-Trump time as well. Yeah. I'm so annoyed because I talked... We talked to so many, we talked to like 100 people at yeah. least. And I'd say 80% said they were voting for Trump. Now, that's obviously because of who we were. We're talking to gun nuts and, yeah. uh, you know, people who stockpile ham in their shed to wait for the apocalypse. But every even like waiters and waitresses and like people on the street, everyone was voting for Trump. Yeah. And I remember coming home, it's like, I'm going to put money on this dude. And then when I turn on the news... Um, everyone was saying, oh, no, it's turned now. It's back to Hillary. And I was like, oh, not bother. Yeah, yeah. So I should have done a George Hook and stuck 100 quid down on him. You should have. Yeah. At least there would have been some bonus for him becoming yeah. president. But it, it was, yeah, it was, it's such a mad place. Yeah. It's such a mental place. Because I guess you'd seen, like, I've been to America, but I haven't been to those parts of it that, you know, I've been to New York and California, but I haven't really spent a lot of time in kind of... In the main part of it. The, main the middle, part yeah. Of it. Yeah. It's, it's but so many people, totally I think, different. are like that. It's a whole, and it's always that thing of America. How could America have voted Trump in? But it's like, sure, we don't know half of America. Like, it's, we don't know. And it's, like, half America is, um, it's, it's like a third world country, like... Really? Um, yeah, like, the, some of the poverty in middle America is, would shock you. And I've just, I find it so frustrating watching them because they're constantly voting against their interests. It's like all Americans are like this, they've got this thing in their head, like they're temporarily embarrassed billionaires. Someday they're going to make it big. Yeah, the American dream. And that's why you can't tax the billionaires because I might be one someday. Right. And you're not, man. You're not. (laughs) You're really fucking not. Um, But it is, it's the weirdest place in the world. And it's it's a weird and wonderful place at times, you know. And would you go back there? Would you consider doing... Um, in a New York minute. Really? <laughs> yeah. If this website wants to pay for me yeah. to, <laughs> to like interview the strangest people in the planet, 100%. Yeah. Nice, nice. That could be our next online project. There was one guy when we were... We were staying at this um, house in the middle of Florida in like a swamp. And it was a party house. Um, and it was... <laughs> It was a house where they would you basically you would pay to party with them with right. these party boy lunatics, and like the jackass lads were there and Andrew WK is that his name, um like all these crazy party dudes would go to this house and pay this guy and they would just go mad and he yeah. had like strippers and uh, little people is that the right term little mm, people sure um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was disgusting. Uh, like there was bras stapled to the wall. There was like um, sex toys stuck to the wall. It was like the most, I felt like sticky walking into the place. Yeah. But um, Wait, what brought you here again? This is in Florida. Florida, right. Um, and they had this, this guy, he, his name was Busey. Um, I think he was a relation of Gary Busey. Mm. But um, there was this guy called Big LA and he was he was the the fattest man I've ever seen in my life. He was like American fat. Yeah. Another way, like Irish or British people, when they get fat, they kind of just turn into big barrels of Guinness. Yeah. Uh, whereas <laughs> Americans are like just like uh, cling film full, filled with like butter. Yeah. Um, this guy showed me how he could hide a gun in his fat. Oh my God. And he lifted up his, he was wearing just a pair of pants. He lifted up his fat and he took out a pistol. Oh my God, that's the most American thing I've ever that's seen. That's the most American thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, big LA, look him up. 
But yeah, that was that was the funnest, weirdest, scariest place, I think. Yeah. They were sounds... just like, we were outside just shooting um, M16s just yeah. into the into I think Because I did blades. watch your show. This does ring a bell. I can picture it all too clearly because I think I did see this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was my favorite one. The, yeah. the one on sort of outsiders, um, people who have left their family to kind of forge a new weird yes. family. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's the story of America. America used to be in our family in Europe. Mm. And then they they were like, nah, we want to do things differently. Yeah. And then they just section off. Like the whole, the entire country is filled with people who just want to do things a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. Which is why there's so many different types of Protestants. Yeah. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> interesting place to be. And interesting place to end the interview. <laughs> Kevin, best of luck with the show and everything else that's coming your way this year. Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>